over the next few minutes. Philippians 4, let's begin in verse 4. We'll read down through verse number 9. And we're working on our series, Producing Through the Spirit. This week's topic is peace. Keep that in mind as we read the passage. We'll read the odd-numbered verses out loud together. I'll read the even-versed numbers alone. I'll begin in verse 4. We'll begin together in verse 5. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We're looking at the series Producing Through the Spirit, specifically this morning, the topic, Peace That Passes Understanding. Peace That Passes Understanding. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we look at this topic of peace. It's a topic, Lord, I believe that is missed on many, many Christians. Uh, It is a topic that is highly misunderstood in Scripture. And Lord, there are very few things in life that are guaranteed But peace is guaranteed to a Christian who keeps his heart from sin and clings to you during the hard times. And so, Lord, as we look at this, help us to be blown away by the absoluteness of the truth. And, Lord, help us to run to you during hard times and not to secular teaching, not to secular philosophy. Uh, Lord, not to what the culture tells us, but what the perfect word of God tells us. And so, Lord, help your word. And to slice through hurt and pain. And Lord, lead us all to a place of peace. And then Lord, for those that seem to be a long way from it, may today be a journey that puts them uh, uh, heading the right direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, one of the things I love about Jesus is how relatable he is to me and you. Jesus, uh, you know, I love God the Father. I love God the Father because he's this uh, big, powerful God that uh, is a spirit in heaven. And uh, he rules and reigns in a way that's perfect in every manner. And I love God the Father for that. I love God the Holy Spirit because he dwells within me as a Christian. And he convicts me over sin. He comforts me uh, during hard times. And uh, he's there to help guide me and lead me along in the path of becoming more like Jesus. But I really, really love God the Son because he came down and he put on flesh and he He walked this earth and he dealt with uh, the same things that we deal with. God the Father has never been tempted by sin. God the Holy Spirit has never been tempted by sin. But God the Son has. Matthew 4, Luke 4, Jesus is in the wilderness, uh, uh, not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. And has Satan come along during that time and three times tempts him. And at the end, he has angels come and minister to him in his weakness. 
this. And uh, Jesus knows what it's like probably to get sick and have a, a runny nose or have an upset stomach. And uh, he knows what it's like to uh, uh, weep and cry and be hurt and suffer the emotions that come along with being a human. But not only does Jesus know what it's like to be sick and not only does Jesus know what it's like to be sad, Jesus knows what it's like to be tired, to be tired. Jesus is out with his disciples and he's he's pushing and pushing. And a couple of times you see where he wants to take the disciples aside to give them a break. Can I tell you, it wasn't just about giving the disciples a break. It was about giving himself a break. Now, it's funny. If you look up the word pillow in the Bible, uh, why would you look up pillow in the Bible? Um, It's found several times. Okay, Jacob turned a rock into a pillow. All right. Uh, but uh, one of the times that you find the word pillow revolves around Jesus. How many of you here love your pillow? Can I tell you something? I, I, I like going on trips, and I enjoy staying in hotels at some point. I don't like the pillows in hotels. I have been known for cramming my pillow in my suitcase and taking that with me. I have been known of shoving it in a bag and having it pop out of the bag and people looking at me through the airport like, what's that guy doing taking his pillow with him? I love my pillow. Well, Jesus loved a pillow too. And here Jesus is. He's been ministering to people all day and he gets into a boat. I don't know if they chartered the boat. I don't know if it was one of the disciples' boats. I don't know. Maybe it belonged to a family member of one of the disciples who used to be a fisherman. But they get into a boat. And this boat was sort of yacht-esque because it had a room, a sheltered room in it. And so the disciples get in the boat and they get out on the Sea of Galilee. And they're going from one side of the sea to the other. And if you know much about weather over in that part of the world with the Sea of Galilee, storms just come out of nowhere. They just come out of nowhere. And so the sky is peaceful and open and clear when they get in the boat. And it's not a long ride across the Sea of Galilee, but there they are traveling across and this major storm comes out of nowhere. And you know, the, 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 the waves are pushing the boat around and you have to understand that in this boat, you have a seasoned Fishermen who have been out on this sea many times and they have seen dozens, if not hundreds of storms collectively between them all. And uh, uh, when a storm arose, it didn't scare them. It didn't bother them. But this storm was not like one they were used to. In fact, I believe the water or the boat began to fill up with water as waves began to crash into the boat. And the wind was loud and problematic and the boat began to rock back and forth. Well, where is Jesus during all this? Jesus is in a room asleep on a pillow. He's, he's sawing logs. He's snoring. How many of you here can just about sleep through anything? Okay? Uh, how many of you here uh, don't understand how people can sleep? through just about anything. We were in Peru back in May. I was preaching for one of our missionaries down there and uh, we stayed up on the fourth floor and um, it was um, it was uh, barely a room, but it was a room nonetheless. And uh, we're sleeping on a bed and it wasn't the most comfortable bed. And, and uh, but I was wore out from our travels and I was gone. I mean, I was I was in a deeper stage of sleep than most. And uh, uh, even most times my wife says I don't snore unless I'm super tired and then I snore really loud. Okay. So I was sawing logs. I was snoring and the earthquake that hit Peru happened while we were there. And, um, uh, we, we got up the next morning and went downstairs and where the chairs had been set up, they had been 
moved around because of the earthquake. It was a pretty crazy earthquake. And it woke my wife up. And my wife woke me up. And she said, there's an earthquake. And I said, there's not an earthquake. Go back to sleep. I, I was so asleep that even an earthquake up on a fourth floor didn't awake me. Well, that's how Jesus was. He was asleep. He was out cold. And uh, here the disciples are. And they're beginning to think, Jesus, do you not care? Here we are going through this storm. We're about to die. And, and he's sleeping. And I can see the disciples as they have buckets. And they're, they're bucketing the water out. And it's, 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 it's toe deep. And then it's coming up over the top of, uh, of their foot. And then it's getting up to their ankles. And the boat is rocking back and forth. And finally, one of the disciples works up the nerve and goes into the area where Jesus is asleep. And grabs him by the shirt and shakes him and says, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Can't you see we're about to die? You ever felt like that before? Life is just crazy. And you're like, God, my life is a mess. Where are you? Are you sleeping? You ever felt that way? Some of you feel that way right now. You just wonder, you pray, and it feels like your your prayer just bounces around the room. Almost like heaven is made out of brass, and it just goes up and shoots right back down. Well, Jesus... He, 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 he kind of swings his legs over the side of the bed. Now, I wasn't there, so this is speculatory on my part. But he swings his legs over the side of the bed, and he sits, and he does one of these. And he stands up, and he wipes the sleepy out of his eye, and the boat's rocking back and forth, so he's stumbling around a little bit. And he says to the disciples, where is your faith? And he walks over to the edge of the boat, and the way I see it, is that there's this massive wave that has grown and it's heading right to the boat where Jesus is. And Jesus looks up at the storm and he says this. He says, peace, be still. And that wave that's about to just crash in the boat, just bloop, right in the water. And the storm clouds just cease to be there. They go away. And the disciples sit there with their jaw hung open. And they say, wow, even the seas and the waves and the storms obey him. Peace, be still. Sometimes when life is out of control and we don't know what to do, God will calm the storm. He'll come along and he makes the storm stop. I want to talk to you this morning about peace that passes understanding. Can I tell you other times God doesn't make the storm stop? Now, um, uh, if I had it my way, every time things got really rough, I would pray and God would just make it not be rough anymore. You with me this morning? It, it would just stop being hard. It would be hard to a point, and then when I couldn't handle it any longer, I'd say, Lord, I can't take it anymore, make it stop! And then he'd step into my life and say, peace be still, and the problem would just go away. But can I tell you, that's not usually how it works. Usually, God comes along my side, and he calms me and lets the storm rage on. Now, when the storm is raging in your life, who do you turn to? Do you run to the presence of God and let his peace pass all understanding while the storm rages on? Or do you wring your hands and worry and fret. Peace that passes understanding. Now, uh, we're in a series where we're talking about producing fruit 
uh, uh, through the Spirit. And the idea here is that you are so rooted in Christ. I'm not going to go back and re-preach all the sermons that got us to this point in, uh, in the uh, year. But you're so rooted in Christ and His Word is engrafted into the tree of your life. And these, this, this fruit is developing on your tree. We looked at the fruit of love two weeks ago. We looked at the fruit of joy last week. Today we're going to talk about the fruit of Peace. Now, peace isn't just something we feel when things are going good. Peace is something that we are to display on in our life when things are not going good. Hey, anybody can be peaceful when they just got a raise at work. Anybody can be peaceful when they, you know, uh, uh, just got uh, a new car or a new set of clothes or ladies a new purse, whatever it would be. Anybody can be peaceful then. Can you be peaceful when you lost your job, can you be peaceful when your marriage seems to just be up in the air and in trouble? Can, can you be peaceful when your children are not going the direction in life that you want them to go? Can you be peaceful uh, when life has kicked you in the mouth and the storm is raging in your life? I saw a, a picture once. I, I couldn't find it uh, uh, to, to, for the illustration with the screen. But I saw a painting one time of an eagle next to a waterfall and a storm is raging. And uh, he is standing there over his eaglets with his wings out, covering up the eaglets. And the eaglets are at peace. And the storm around him is raging and the water's running off the side of the rock in a way that would scare a little bird and those birds are at perfect peace because they are abiding under the shadow of the almighty eagle now when the storm is raging in your life and when the uh, uh, things there's just a lot of noise and distractions and hurt are you at peace because you're dwelling in the presence of god or are you a frantic mess because things are just not going your way peace that passes understanding. It ought to be that someone who is lost or away from the Lord comes alongside of you and gets to know a little bit about the trouble in your life and the problems in your life. And they step back and they scratch their head and say, how is such and such so peaceful when things are so hard? Now, look, you don't get there overnight. And as we have discussed, uh, uh, having the Holy Spirit grow these fruits on your tree is a matter of you submitting to his leading and you doing exactly what he says. And as you submit to the spirit of God that you're given at the day of your salvation, what you find is that these fruits become more and more prevalent of your life. Someone who's been trying to submit to the Lord for 40 years is going to have a deeper peace than someone who's been trying to submit to the Lord for four years or four months or four weeks. But as we grow, God gives us a peace that is profound, a peace that is impressive. Now, let's jump in this morning and let me share with you five thoughts on this topic of peace. And I'm not going to do a lot of preaching until we get into point three, four, and five. The first two points, I just want to open up the Bible with you, do a little bit of Bible study, and lay the groundwork for this idea of peace. All right. So point number one of the message this morning is this, the author of peace, the author of peace. Let's work through these verses in the Bible uh, that you see uh, references to on the screen, also on the back of your bulletin. And let me show you who is the author of peace. Look with me at Romans chapter 15 and verse number 33. Romans 15. 
It should be Romans. Yeah, correct. Verse 33. You there? Okay. When I pause, I want you to read the next word. Ready? Now the God of... So God's nature is to be peaceful. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Chapter 16, verse 20. Chapter 16, verse 20. Read the uh, first five words out loud with me. Ready? And the God of peace. The God of peace. What's, what does the God of peace do? Shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So uh, the God of peace is going to hurt or destroy the one who is the antithesis or the opposite of peace. The adversary of peace. So the God of peace. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. Okay, go over to 2 Corinthians. That would be to the right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 13, verse number 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in, and the God of love and shall be with you. The God of peace, the God of love and peace uh, is going to keep you in one mind, a mind of peace. Okay, back where we started this morning, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 9. Philippians 4 and verse number 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of, you seeing a pattern here? God of peace. You say, Pastor, why are you taking us to a bunch of verses that says the same thing? Because I'm trying to make a point that God's nature is peace. Peace. God of peace shall be, shall be with you. Okay, let's keep going here. Um, uh, let's see, First Thessalonians chapter 5. We were in this verse in my Sunday school class. Again, we're working uh, from left to right in your Bible. First Thessalonians 5 and verse number 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God, your whole spirit and body. Uh, rather, in soul and body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more on this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. It should just be a handful of pages to the right. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, chapter 13 is the last chapter in Hebrews. Chapter 13 and verse number 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He's the God of peace. God of peace. Who is the author of peace? God is. Who created you? Who created you? Were you were, did you come about through the evolutionary process? Now, I'm one of these preachers that like when the crowd interacts. So you all have to work with me here. Some of you um, are less interactive today. Uh, than, than you are normal. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, and some of you aren't smiling very much. We talked about joy last week. Do I need to go back and preach? I have those notes right here. Um, I can go back and do that one instead. All right. So put the joy of Jesus on your face. And when I ask a question, try to interact. Okay. So um, uh, uh, who made you? There we go. 
All right, God made you. And you know what? Genesis tells us that God made you in his own image. So if God is a God of peace and he made you in his image, that means you have the capacity inside of you to be a person of great peace. Does that make sense this morning? Okay, let's keep going. Number two. Number two, an assurance of peace. Well, pastor, I know that God is the God of peace, but you know, I, I just struggle with, uh, with peace and, and I'm not always at peace and, you know, it's just the way God made me. I can't help it. Well, hold on a minute here. The Bible has a whole lot to say about a guarantee of Him giving us peace, uh, an assurance of peace. Some of you are already getting ahead of me here, but turn over to Psalm chapter 29. And we're getting, we're going to work left to right. How many of you, the first time you ever opened up your Bible, you thought Psalms was Psalms? Psalms, because that's kind of how it looks, right? I had a, uh, when I was a teenager, I, I started going to a church in, in uh, Maryland, and they, they took this, this guy who was just wet behind the ears, and man, he had a lot of zeal, a lot of desire to serve the Lord, and so he went to the pastor and said, let me teach, you know, I, I know how to teach, I love teenagers, and so they stuck him in the, the teen boy Sunday school class, and he'd only been saved a short time, and he got up in class, he said, open to the book of Psalms. And I said, surely he's joking. And he, he, we, we had to tell him it's Psalms, not Psalms. Uh, but, um, uh, but Psalm tw- chapter 29, look at verse number 11. It says, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord might bless his people with peace. Will bless his people with peace. That doesn't look like it. he's thinking about it. That looks like God will give peace to his people, okay? Well, pastor, that's just one verse. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number 3. This is one of the most poetic, beautiful verses in the entire Bible. Isaiah 26, 3. This is a verse that you could have made on a sign and hung in your home. Uh, this is a sign that you could, uh, this is uh, something you could make as a back, backdrop to your phone or your, 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 uh, your screen on your computer and something to just, just as a great reminder. Look here. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now really, the whole sermon I'm preaching today could be uh, rooted back into this verse. Thou might keep him in peace. No. Thou wilt Keep him in peace, okay? Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 11. You say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, I'm going to give you a lot more New Testament than I am Old Testament on this. Look at Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 28. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Now, I'm going to, again, I'm just laying the groundwork here, and I'm going to preach here in a few minutes. So let's do a Bible study together. Don't let this bore you. Uh, engage with me here. Turn to the verses. Matthew chapter 11. And verse 28, Jesus is speaking here. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, let me take a moment here and explain this. Rest. Rest and peace are not the same thing. Okay? Rest, you can be at peace and not have rest. But if you are resting, you are at peace. How many ever laid in bed at night over a gigantic problem, a gigantic storm swirling in your life, and you could not go to sleep? You know why? You didn't have peace. Okay? But you can have peace and still not rest. I've known people who would all label workaholics. 
elbow the person next to you if they're a workaholic, okay? Workaholic. And um, uh, workaholics is something that does not become most millennials. I am a millennial, so I get to pick on them. Uh, most millennials uh, are not workaholics, okay? They're, they're really good at, at talking about how awesome they are. And um, uh, I was... Um, I was at a gathering with my family. I'm the oldest of seven children, and uh, we were at the table. And my mom, I love my mother. My mother is awesome, okay? I love my mom, but my mom was going on for like 15 minutes about how terrible millennials are. And, uh, and we're all at the table. All seven of her children are millennials. And, and it's, you know, this happened at school because she works in a school. And that happened at school. And first, she doesn't understand millennials and Gen Z are not the same thing. And really, she's describing Gen Z. But anyway, she's just millennial this, millennial that, millennial this, millennial that. And you ever had someone that just keeps going on with something and you're thinking, oh, will you just please stop? But you don't want to say anything to be rude. You ever been there? And, and uh, finally, my brother, Jonathan, who's very calculated, He's putting a bite of mashed potatoes in his mouth. And he says, Mom, I want to ask you a question. She said, what's up? He said, who raised the millennials? And I'm like, zing, right there. Got her. And then my mom goes on the defense. Well, my kids aren't that way. Um, But anyway, you guys got me chasing a rabbit there. Uh, Not workaholics. Someone can be at peace and be a workaholic and just not sleep much and not rest much. But you cannot rest without peace. So peace is a part of rest. It's a very important part of rest. So when Jesus says, come to me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest, what he's saying, labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, is I will give you rest, which involves Peace. All right, look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find, ye shall find, look at the guarantee there, rest unto your souls. He doesn't say ye might find rest. He says ye shall find rest. Now, um, uh, some people do not like it when I make absolute statements from the pulpit because they think that they are the exception to the rule. Well, I was born this way or I have this problem or that might apply to most, but it doesn't apply to me. And I understand the danger in making absolute statements, but please understand this morning, I am not the one making the absolute statements here. I am not the one that's saying shall and will and shall give. The Bible, God who created you said that he shall give you rest for your soul. Look at verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look at John chapter 14 and verse number 27. John 14 and verse number 27. For sake of time, when I get there, I'm going to read and just catch up with me here. Jesus is speaking here. He says, peace I leave with you. This is, as he's speaking to his disciples. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so there is no room to have a troubled heart. There is no room to have a fearful heart because Jesus has left behind his peace through the person of the Holy Spirit. He has left that for us. Look at chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16 
and verse number 33. It says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me uh, ye might have peace in the world. Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, someone will look there and say, Oh, right there, Pastor, it says ye might have peace. It doesn't say ye shall have peace. And let me explain to you why that might is there. Because the decision on whether or not you're going to live with peace is left up to you. You get to choose whether you're going to let the world and its philosophy and its culture trouble your heart and take away its peace, or you're going to allow the Holy Spirit, who is epitomized by peace, uh, uh, if you're going to live under His influence and have peace, or live under the world's influence and not have peace. So you might have peace if you stay away from the tribulation that is of the world. Turn over with me to, uh, let's see, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 6. Romans 8. And verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, or separation, hurt, death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. I'm glad to see you're still turning. Life and peace is life and peace. So if I am spiritually minded, it is an absolute that I will have life and I will have peace. Everybody tracking this morning? You with me? Uh, let's look at a couple more. Romans 14, verse number 17. Look at Romans 14 and verse number 17. It says, Therefore the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, or not the physical, but righteousness and what? Peace and joy in who? Oh, so these are characteristics of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is in charge of my heart, I will have righteousness, I will have peace, and I will have joy. Not that I might have these things. If the Holy Spirit is calling the shot, then I absolutely will have righteousness, joy, and the one we're focusing on today, peace. Okay, let's uh, look at one more, Philippians chapter 4, where we began this morning. And I hope you've marked that uh, spot in your Bible, because we'll come back to it multiple times. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4. How many here believe God is not going to give a command to you that he doesn't, he's not going to, okay, if God gives you a command, he's going to give you the capacity to be able to keep it. How many believe that this morning? If he gives you a command, then he will give you the capacity to keep it. Not he might, he will. Amen? Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Read it with me. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Can I tell you something? You cannot live in a spirit of rejoicing if you're always down in the dumps and you're strifeful and wrathful and upset. Look at verse 5. Let your moderation or your self-control be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now that word careful in verse 6, the second word in the verse, uh, is our modern day English word anxious. Okay, Be careful or be anxious, fretful, fearful. Be careful for nothing. There's no reason for you to be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, guard, protect, preserve your heart and minds through, uh, uh, through Christ Jesus. Verse eight, I could preach a whole sermon out of that. I'll do that another time. Look at verse nine. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. 
and the God of peace shall be with you. So the author of peace is God and we are promised. We are not, it's not some possibility. It's not some even probability. It is a guarantee that if you follow God's plan, he will 100% give you peace. Number three, point number three, an abundance of peace. An abundance of peace. Now I'm laying the foundation to talk to you about where most Christians live. And it is not in a peaceful place. Turn over to Psalm 119. Hold your place, Philippians 4. We'll be right back here. Psalm 119 and 165. Now, Psalm 119 165, I have heard quoted since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. But the emphasis has always been put on the second half of the verse. And you'll see why in just a minute. Psalm 119, 165. Let me show you how this verse is usually quoted or read. Ready? Great peace of the law. And nothing shall offend them. That's how it's usually read. And so growing up, if uh, someone got their feelings hurt over the preaching, over something somebody said, they'd said, if you love God's law, then nothing is going to offend you. By the way, that verse is not being used in its proper context. You know what it means to offend? It means to cause someone to sin. So if you love God's law, then nothing is going to uh, cause you to go off in sin. That's what that verse means. But I don't want to look at the second half of the verse this morning. I want us to look at the first two words, especially of the verse. Look there with me. Ready? Great peace. An abundance of peace. An abundance of peace. I mean, people are walking into the orchard of your life and they're looking up at the fruit that your life is putting off and they're looking at the, the, the peace branch and they're like, whoa, that's some big fruit. Whoa, that's some juicy fruit. Whoa, that's some good tasting peace. Check this person out. The storm is raging all around them and there's a calm about them that is just mind-blowing. Great, abundant peace. Go back to Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7. And here we get the title of our sermon. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Um, I'm not trying to just use superlatives to be um, over the top or uh, exaggeratory. But I want you to understand that your peace... That God gives you as a Christian should just blow everyone away to a place where they say, I can't even comprehend how that person could be at that much peace during that trouble. Let's say that tomorrow you started feeling sick and um, you began to take the measures that you'd normally take when you're sick and you just didn't get any better, so you scheduled a doctor's appointment and the doctor checked you out and said, I'm going to send you for some tests. And after the test, they said this, I don't know for sure, but I think you may need to schedule a test with an oncologist. You might have cancer. Now, the prospect of cancer, would you, would you have peace? How about you go to the oncologist and they run their battery tests and they come back and say, yep, you have cancer. Would you be at peace? 
Now, some of you here could handle that news a lot better if it was you than if it was someone you loved. What if that husband or wife that you love or that child you love so much, you found out they had cancer? Would you be at peace? What if somebody hopped online today and got on social media and just drug your name through the mud? Ripped you to shreds? Called, every, called you every name under the sun? You say, oh, that won't happen to me. I've seen it happen to lots of people. I've seen this kind of thing deeply, deeply hurt families. I have seen conversations that were supposed to be private, uh, 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 brought out into the public, and whether that's through a group text message or uh, a Facebook post or uh, some uh, some uh, 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 tell-bear whisper, and all of a sudden, your whole world is ripped up and there's some storm. Listen, I could stand up here for uh, hours and talk about all the different scenarios that could interrupt what is the normal cadence and flow of your life and ask you this question over and over and over again. Are you at peace? Would you be at peace? Right now, some of you have... Have some major storms that are ripping through the sea of your life. And I have this question for you this morning, Christian. Are you at peace? The Bible says that God is a God of peace. And that He will give you peace. And that He will give you great peace. And a peace that passes all understanding. The question isn't, is it available? The question is, are you living under the shadow of of the Almighty. Number four, let's look at the adversaries of peace. The adversaries of peace. Now, I've tried my best to lay the groundwork this morning to take away any question of where God stands and what the Bible says. And I'm going to say some things uh, uh, here. I'll say them very carefully. I'll say them very delicately. And, uh, and I want you to know that everything I'm going to say, I have thought through, I have prayed over, and I am certain that this is what God wants me to say this morning. I have probably prayed more over this point in the message than I have prayed over uh, uh, any other point in a long, long time. Uh, 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 so I want you to understand that what I'm saying has not just something I drug up somewhere and I'm, I'm spitting out here to you. I have no intentions of hurting anybody's feelings, but you cannot find your way to peace unless Unless you're really willing uh, to look yourself in the mirror and the mirror of God's word and be uh, sincere about it. Let's talk about why people who are saved do not live in a place of constant peace. Let's look at letter A, the roots, the roots. Okay, I'm going to give you two reasons why Christians do not live in peace. Now, there may be more reasons than this in the Bible, uh, but I'm going to give you the two most prominent ones I can find in Scripture. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, and let's look at an unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart. Hebrews chapter number 4. If you're in Philippians, that'd be to the right. Philippians, or Hebrews chapter number 4. And uh, let's read from verse 1 down. We're going to skip some verses here and there, but uh, I want to make sure you get the context here. Of the passage. Verse 1 Let us therefore fear, lest a promise, by the way, that word fear there doesn't mean to be afraid, it means to reverence God. Lest a promise being left us of entering into his, what's that next word? Rest. Into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. So there is a rest unto the people of God. In fact, look down with me at verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest 
to the people of God. So there is available to each of us a rest, uh, and, uh, and it is something that we can fall short of. So how is it that we can be at rest, uh, also at peace? Uh, how is it that we can be there or have it available to us, but not attain it? Look at verse two. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. This is the saved versus the lost. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we have, uh, which have believed do enter into rest. So how does a person rest? They have to do what? They have to believe. You see that? Look back, look back at verse 3. For we which have what? Believed. All right, everybody together. We which have believed do enter into rest. And he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they, shall, uh, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Look down with me at uh, verse number 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward uh, have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest Unto the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore labor, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man uh, uh, fail after the example of unbelief. Now, listen to me here. This, uh, this passage is built on the back of Hebrews 3, and I want to take a moment and explain it to you. The children of Israel had left Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. They had entered into uh, the desert. Okay, so I've explained this many times. Really quick, for those of you that haven't heard me do this before, I'll explain it real again. How many of you have seen uh, either the Disney movie or the Charles Charleston Charles Charleston Heston is that his name movie on Moses, Prince of Egypt, or the movie about Moses? Okay, so you know the backstory, right? Everybody here, whether you go to church regularly or not, you know the story. Israelites, God's chosen people, they're in bondage and slavery in Egypt. This is a picture of you and I when we live under the bondage and captivity of Satan and sin. So Egypt is a picture of you and I before we put our faith and trust in Christ to save us. Uh, uh, They're led out by Moses. And they go through the Red Sea, the Red Sea being a picture of the blood of Christ. As they left the Red Sea, the waters were parted. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The enemy came in. The, 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 the sea crashed down on them and destroyed the enemy so they could never go back to Egypt. Once you get saved, you can never go back and be unsaved. But as they passed through the Red Sea to leave captivity, we passed through the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross to leave the captivity. Captivity and the bondage of Satan and sin behind. They then entered into a land called the desert land or the wilderness. And they were, they traveled three months through the wilderness and they came to a location called Kadesh Barnea. Where did they go? I'm just making sure you're still with me here. Okay. They got to Kadesh Barnea and uh, Moses went through and he picked 12 men from the 12 different tribes or states and he sent them into Canaan land, their promised land, uh, that, that land of rest, and sent them in there and said, spy it out and come back. They came back and 10 men stood up on one rock and they told the children of Israel, oh, it's wonderful. Oh, it's great. But there are giants over there that make us look like grasshoppers. And we be not able to take it over. And so, as the children's song says, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good? How many know the song? Oh, a few of you, okay? Some saw giants big and tall, some saw grapes of clusters long, some saw God was in it all, 10 were bad and 2 were good. Okay, um, 
The other two are Joshua and Caleb, and they're on a rock over here. And they say, hey, the same God that brought us through uh, the wilderness, or rather through the Red Sea, and, and made the bitter water sweet, and opened water out of a rock, and sent quail amongst us, and destroyed uh, the, the kings of, uh, uh, that, that have faced us, that same God can take us over and do it. Maybe we're not able, but he is able through us. And the ten said, no, we can't do it. And what did the children of Israel do? They lived in unbelief, and they said, we can't do it. And so God said, okay, if you think you can't, then you won't wander around the desert and you will be in a place of unrest for the next 40 years. And I'm going to wait for all of you to die and your children, 20 and younger, they're going to get to go into the land of rest. Why is it that these people did not get to have peace? Because they did not believe in God. Now here's what I see a lot of people do. They walk up to God and they believe in him enough to save them. But then when it comes to a trouble in their life, a trial in their life, can I tell you the number one reason why Christians have anxiety in their life? Can I tell you why? It's because of the word money. Money. Oh, how am I going to pay the bills? Oh, uh, money's being misspent over here. Money's being mishandled over there. Uh, the stress of money. The other one would be health. Uh, some of them are relational struggles. But there is all this strife and trouble in our heart. And why is it that we don't have peace? It's because flat out we don't have faith in a God that he's going to take care of us. And it is the enemy, the adversary of peace, the roots of unbelief. Letter B, look at, or rather under the roots, look at an unrepentant heart. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 48, Isaiah chapter 48 and verse number uh, uh, 22. Isaiah 48 verse 22. Isaiah would be in the Old Testament to the right of Psalms. It's one of the, what we call major prophets. And not that Isaiah was more important than other prophets. It's just that his book is really long. Isaiah 48, look at verse number 22, and look what Isaiah says about the wicked. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. If you're going to choose to live in sin, to the degree you choose to live in sin, to the degree you choose to practice sin, to ascend to that degree, you're not going to have any peace. You're just not. You say, well, pastor, I'm in church on Sunday and I feel so good. Yeah, how do you feel at the bar on Friday? Someone said, uh, I wanted to drown my sorrows uh, in, my, in my liquor, but someone forgot to remind you that, that sorrows know how to swim. <laughs> sorrows know how to swim. Uh, you, you run to whatever it is. Your old friends that are bad influence on you, or your old TV habits or movie habits or whatever it is, and, and, and where there is wickedness in your life, there is no peace. Look with me at chapter 59, verse 8 of Isaiah. Chapter 59 and verse 8. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment in their going. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Where there is sin, there is no peace. Where there is no sin, there is peace. 
You show me how much sin you're caught up in, wrapped up in in your life, and I'll show you an absence of peace in your heart. You show me where you're working to, uh, to distill your life and sanctify your heart and walk with the Lord and submit to the Lord and submit to his way. And I'll show you peace that is growing on the tree of your life. The roots, the roots, the adversaries of peace, the roots. Let's look at the results, the results. Go over with me to Galatians chapter number five. I know I have you use your Bible a lot this morning, but again, you didn't come here to hear my opinion. You came here to hear the word of God and have that change your life. Galatians chapter five. Let me give you the results. All right. Notice first strife, strife. Look at verse number 16. This I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, contrary, the one to the other, at opposition with each other, so that ye cannot do the things ye would. Look at verse 18. But if ye be led uh, by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. We looked at love and joy. Those are contradictory to love and joy. Uh, Which ones are contrary to peace? Look here, idolatry, witchcraft. Here we go. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Look, if you're living with constant strife in your life, strife in your relationships, that's because you have the roots of either an unbelieving heart or an unrepentant heart. You won't turn from your sin or you won't turn from your unbelief, which is sin. And because of that, now you have the fruits of the flesh, strife and, and wrath and anger and hatred pouring, uh, 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 pouring out of you. Strife. Some of you say, well, I'm not a strifeful person. I'm just around people who are, are strifeful or, or hard to get along with. And I would say this. If you don't get along with your wife or your husband, you don't get along with your kids, you don't get along with your boss, you don't like the pastor when he preaches hard, uh, you, you don't like um, uh, the people in your Sunday school class or your Sunday school teacher, or you don't like uh, 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 the person who's walking on the road and won't get out of the way, and you're always yelling at people who cut you off in traffic, i got to tell you, the problem isn't your wife or your husband. The problem is you. The roots of an unbelieving heart or the roots of an unrepentant heart, when God puts his finger in sin in your life and you won't do anything about it, it's going to manifest itself with strife. How else does it come out? Not only strife, but it also comes out with anxiety. With anxiety. Look at Philippians chapter 4 again. You're in Galatians. Go back to our our text. Philippians chapter 4. And look at verse number 6. God bless you. I had this discussion with my wife about whether or not you can control sneezes. How many say you can? How many say you can't? Okay, can't win. Say amen. I won't tell you which, uh, which one of the side my wife was on, but uh, you can probably figure it out from my body language. Okay, Philippians chapter 4 and verse... Number six, be careful, be anxious for nothing. So by that verse, I'm not to live with fear and anxiety in my heart. Let me read you another verse out of Psalm 127, verse 2. Listen carefully. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. 
For so he giveth his beloved sleep. I want to make sure that I am very loving and kind and caring right here. There are some things that God's word says are sin. You don't need your pastor to stand up and hit you over the head with the Bible. You need your pastor to just gently but firmly tell you. Everybody looking up here at me? Being fretful? Being a hand wringer? Being anxious? It's a sin. It's wrong. You say, well, pastor, I, I can't help it. You can't help it, but if you'll take your heart to God and you'll get perspective at how big and powerful and loving to you He is, He can take that from you. He can take that from you. Now, I believe anxiety left undealt with or a fearful heart, uh, a fretful heart left undealt with leads to greater problems. Some of you here, some of you here have a leaning toward a struggle more so than others. I am not a natural born worrier. Okay? The first three years I was the pastor here, the money at our church was very tight. Um, God has blessed us with a church treasurer who is very organized with money, and he has blessed us with uh, bookkeepers, plural at this point now, who have been very good at their jobs. And so we have been able to pay the bills and never miss a payment and be on time and make payroll. But i got to tell you, if I was a worrier, if I was a hand wringer, I would have lost a lot of sleep over the church's money. A lot of sleep. And uh, there are three people in the room who, who look at the, the money of our church uh, as closely as I do, and they know what I'm saying is true on a level that you just don't. But some of you do know because your own money at home is tight. And you know what it's like to have a debt collector call you and ring your phone until you have to block it. And you know what it's like to not have enough money to pay the bills at the end of the month. And you know what it's like to see someone in your marriage or someone in your home frivolously waste money away and, and cause uh, uh, an undue burden on you. And you know what it's like to, to, to go to bed with a hurt heart and you're worried over somebody or, or some problem. And you lay in bed and you let your mind race or all day long you let your mind race. And you know what happens if you live in a place of anxiety and worry, it begins to take your health in a decline. My friend, God did not call you to that. He called you to life, health, and peace. Life and peace. I would ask you this, to go back and ask yourself, am I struggling with an unbelieving heart? Am I struggling with an unrepentant heart? Let me give you one more here, and that's fear. That's fear. John 14, uh, 27. Uh, turn over there quickly with me, if you will. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear. 
that constantly being afraid, that letting a phobia run you over. And again, I'm not here to throw stones at you. I'm here to tell you that if that's a struggle of yours, you need to go back and ask yourself, how much do I trust God? Let me wrap the sermon up here. Number five, lastly, notice our avenue to find peace. You say, okay, pastor, I don't have peace uh, the way I ought to. Uh, you nailed me. You, you pointed that out. How do I fix it? Well, let me give you quickly an A, B, C, D, D. Letter A, pursue it passionately. Pursue it passionately. Let's finish the sermon this morning in Psalm and Isaiah. Psalm chapter 34 and verse number 14. We've not yet looked at this verse. Please turn over there with me. Psalm 34 and verse number 14. The Bible says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and what? Pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. You say, Pastor, peace uh, uh, eludes me. I can't seem to get it. I can't seem to find it. Everywhere I go, my heart's just troubled. I struggle with strife, anxiety, and all the things go with anxiety or fear. And, and I'm not a nice person. Or I, I lay in bed at night and I wring my hands. Or I'm fearful and afraid of things. I ought not uh, uh, be. Pastor, what do I do? You need to seek at peace and pursue it. You seek it with your whole heart by seeking the author of peace. Let her be noticed. Focus on the Father. Focus on the Father. Isaiah chapter 26. You can stay in Psalm. Let me read this verse for you. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Again, listen to it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You know what you have to do? You have to focus on God. You have to put your mind on God and say, God, if you can create worlds in seven days, six days and rest on the seventh, if you can create everything out of nothing, then there's nothing in my life that I can struggle with that you can't fix. And God, I'm going to focus not only on a God of order, but a God who's peaceful in his heart and a God who I can trust. Focus on the Father. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Are you there? there, Christian? Are you there, Christian? Are you focusing on the Father, or are you too caught up focusing on the struggle or the worry or the unknown in your life? Let her see. Love His laws. Love His laws. Psalm 119. Turn over there with me. Psalm 119, 165. We were there a little bit earlier. I want to uh, emphasize another part of the verse here. Psalm 119, 165. It says this. It says, Great peace have they which love thy law. Which love the law. Do you love the Bible? Are you working to memorize it? Are you studying it? Are you diving into it? You know, I have to tell you, in the times of my life where I have struggled to find peace the most, the way I have found it is by diving in the Bible and just reading it that much more. Jumping into my prayer closet and praying that much harder. I won't say who it is, but uh, there's a member of our church who told me, he said, um, I hit a point in my life where I was depressed. All I wanted to do was run home and jump in my bed and pull my covers over my head. And this is a person who is a member of our church who is very stable. Maybe as stable as anyone in our church emotionally. Maybe has the fruits of the Spirit manifest in his life more so than anyone I know in this church. But he said, I wanted to jump into my bed, pull the covers over my, over my head. I didn't want to eat anything. I just wanted everyone to leave me alone. I wanted a dark room, and I wanted to be left all by myself. He said this. He said, while I was tempted to follow what the world told me to do in my depression, instead, I ran to the face of God. I ran to my Bible. I ran to prayer. And the Lord led me out of that dark place. 
You know what he did? He pursued it passionately. He focused on God as Father, who's the God of peace. And he loved God's law. Letter D, keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. I want you to uh, quickly, this will be the last reference this morning. Isaiah 48, verse 18. Isaiah 48, verse 18. And we have here a very descriptive verse about peace. I'm going to read this verse and I'm going to wrap up the sermon. It says, Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. If you had just kept my commandments, your peace would have been as a flowing river or as the waves of the sea. Some of you here have been raised in church. You've been going to church for years, and you know God's Word. I quote a verse, and you can quote it with me. Uh, uh, you, you know your way around the Bible. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, about how sermons are supposed to go, and you know what good doctrine is. And You have a head full of Bible knowledge, and you're there with me, but there isn't peace in your heart. You know why? Because you know what's right, but you're not living by what's right. Can I tell you why? Because sometimes it's a lot harder to do. Then it sounds. Isn't it? I think about Peter. I ta- opened the sermon talking about Jesus in a storm. I'm going to finish the sermon talking about Jesus in a storm. God sends the disciples out this time, except they're in a boat all by themselves. And he's up in the mountain praying. And at the, I think the Bible says at the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes out on the ocean and there's a big storm in the water. I don't know the size of the storm this time, but there's a big storm in the water. And the disciples were a bit superstitious. And so one of them cries out in, in, in fear and says, it is a spirit. And Jesus says, it's not a spirit, it's me. And Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, then let me come out to you on the water. And and God says to Peter, he says, well, come on. And so Peter steps over the edge of the boat and he steps onto liquid water. All right. Not ice and not gas, liquid water. And uh, he gets both feet out on the water. And again, the, the storm, the Bible says in Matthew 14, 30 is boisterous. And here he is out on the water and he's walking on the water. Oh boy. I hope I get to see this when I get to heaven. What a sight. And, and the waves are probably hitting him in the ankle or maybe even the knee. And he's walking to Jesus. And you know what? As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was up top. But then a wind gust hit him in the face. And a wave crashed up against his arm possibly. And he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he put it on the storm. And as soon as he put his eyes on the storm, he fell in the water. And on his way down, i got to give Peter credit. He's the only one that stepped out of the boat. But on his way down, he didn't try to swim back to the boat. He cried out, Lord, save me. He put his focus back on the Father. He pursued the God of peace passionately. He said, Lord, I took my eyes off of you for a moment and my peace left. And here I am falling in the water. Lord, save me. And God reached down and grabbed his hand and pulled him up. And he affirmed his faith. He said, have faith in God. And they walked arm in arm back to the boat. And I'm here today to tell you, sometimes God's going to do what he did with the disciples in the beginning of the sermon. He's going to calm the storm in your life. But other times, he's going to let the storm rage on. And he's going to say, 
Look at me and I'll get you through. Some of you here this morning, you have a world of hurt in your life and peace is the furthest thing from the tree on the tree of your life. And God says, I will give you peace if you'll come to me. The question today isn't, is it available? The question today isn't, will you get it? The que- or, or rather, can you have it? The question is, will you turn from being carnal and will you turn to trusting God? Will you leave your sin behind and will you have a heart of peace? Lord, we ask you today, you'll take what we heard and you'll impress it to our heart. Sometimes you calm the storm. Other times you calm your child and you let the storm rage on. But Lord, will you please help us to run to your presence and be people who are trademarked by a peace that passes all understanding in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.